you may or may not remember some may or may not remember um, the last time I preached I, I preached on choices and uh, from Matthew 7 where Jesus talked about the um, straight and the narrow way and how many choose the, the broad way and only a few choose the narrow way and that there's only two destinations in life and at, toward the end of that message spent a little bit of time on talking about those two destinations heaven and hell and decided since then uh, felt motivated compelled to to preach a message a little bit spending a little bit more time on the subject of hell hell the domain of the lost <clears throat> where do you start and where do you stop with a subject like that, not, not, not necessarily something that is pleasant to talk about, and yet it is a part of um, life, and it is taught to us in Scripture. And so I think it, 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 it's uh, good for us occasionally to spend time on these things, even though it may not be quite as popular. So we'd look, like to look at what is hell, and where is it, and why, and who is it for, and some questions like that throughout the message, starting out with, you know, what is hell? The word hell in the Bible that is translated hell in the Bible is comes from um, three different words in the Old Testament. Uh, it's the word sheol is used and translated into hell. And some in some references, in some instances, it refers to the grave. And in in general, in most times, it refers to a place where lost souls are. And that could give us, lead us into a, a whole topic as well about where is the soul of the departed from the time they leave um, this earth until um, the second coming of Christ when this world is passed away. And I'm not going to get into that much this morning. Another word that the Bible in the New Testament then uh, uses, the Greek word is Hades, and it's translated uh, into hell, and in the Greek, this Greek word is often used in reference to the grave as well, and this is in the New Testament. But it more often refers to a place of torment. And then the Greek word Gehenna, uh, which means a place of future punishment. From what we learn in, in Scripture, if you look at various Scriptures um, that describe hell, and I'll say this at the start. I think we, we do well in being careful when we, when we study any given subject. And I'll, mention, I'll talk more about this a little bit later, that, that we be sure to take the, the whatever it is that we're studying in the context that it's in and that we don't um, um, pull out things that are not meant to be said. And I'll explain that a little bit more later. Various verses throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament alike, and Daniel 12, 2, it refers to it as a place of shame and everlasting contempt. Matthew three twelve refers to it as a place of unquenchable fire. These aren't new things to us. Matthew 25, the portion of Scripture that Marcus read, refers to it in verse 30 as outer darkness, where there's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth. <clears throat> Verse 41 refers to it as a place of everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46 refers to it as a place of everlasting punishment 
And the descriptions and the words that it's used to describe hell in the Old and New Testament alike are very similar. A lot of similarities, a lot of common themes, recurring themes like it's everlasting, it's eternal. That there's terrible fire and there's terrible torment. There's pain and anguish, perhaps sometimes the men- perhaps the mental anguish is as painful as the physical anguish. And so we, we read these descriptions of hell in the Bible, and then it leads us to the question is, is it a literal place? Is hell a literal place? And from the descriptions and, and times, and Jesus referred to, mentioned hell often and throughout his time here on earth. And from the portions of scripture that we read, there's no indication that it's a, anything but a literal place. In Matthew 8, we have the story of the, um, the two men out in the country of the Gergesenes that were um, demon-possessed. And it says that they, were, they had a bad case of it. They were exceeding fierce men. And there's some interesting things, uh, interesting things that we can see there. When Jesus saw these men, of course, um, he, he came to them and said, I, I will come and, and heal him. I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong verse. Matthew eight twenty eight to thirty four is where the the account is. Verse twenty eight says there were there were met him two possessed with devils coming out of tombs exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass that way. Uh, people tried to avoid these two men. It was fearful, frightening. Um, what was becoming of them because of the demons that were in the devils that were inside them. And then Jesus, of course, came and the devils were cast out. And the devil said something interesting. If I can lay my eyes on it now. Verses 29 through 31. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? is an interesting phrase. And there was a good way off from them and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And I want to be careful. I'm not sure if we're reading into this, what's not there, but it, it would seem to me that the devils knew there was a time coming when they're going to be, uh, they're going to be condemned to eternal torment. And because they asked uh, to, to, to torment us before the time and that they would rather go into this herd of swine uh, than go to their place of torment before time. And the devils were saying that. And so I wonder when we read that, what can that tell us about hell? It was something they feared. Another way of looking at whether or not hell is a literal place, we could say we can look at it from a logical standpoint we're fine aren't we with the idea of heaven being a literal place we look forward to that we, we think yeah that that we can handle um and we're okay with that so then if we think uh 
of, it in, of heaven in that way, isn't it reasonable to expect that hell is real also? Because the Bible tells us so. Which leads us then into another question we can ask is, where is it? Where is hell? And to that we could ask, where is heaven? Um, we don't know where heaven is for sure. We have this um, from scripture and from our generally accepted uh, way of looking at it. We think of heaven as up there and we think of hell as down, down there. It's commonly believed to be in the center of the earth, which would stand to logic um, because the center of the earth, according to scientists, is, is hot. Um, but is that where it actually is? I, I don't know, and I'm not here to even give you a solid answer of where hell actually is. Second Peter 2, 4 of the angels that sinned says, God, the Bible says God cast them down to hell. So then... Going to look at. Uh, I'm going to turn to Second Peter chapter three just a bit. I'll be looking at this portion of scripture again. Verse ten says, "But that the but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up." So if hell is in the center of the earth, then what happens to hell when the earth is burned up? Is the question I had and brought that, and why I brought that scripture out. And again, there's one of these things that we don't know for sure, but we do know for sure that at that point in time when heaven and earth, the earth as we know it today, is burned up, that there will be two places where people go and, and, there will be no in-between ground anymore. And I think the words like Hades and Sheol will go away because at that point in time, there's no in-between ground anymore. It, the destiny of humankind, the place where people live, will be one of two places. There will be no more physical earth like we know it today where we live. And everyone will go either to heaven or to hell. And the destination you and I can choose can affect, and the final determination of that destination is made by God himself. So another question we could ask then is why? Why, was, why did hell come to be? Was hell created? And again, I might be asking more questions than I have answers for because I can't say that I could find clear uh, scripture to say why hell was created or who created it. But it, again, it only stands to reason that if God didn't create it, then who did? And if God, and if someone else created it, then is God still sovereign? So I think it's safe to say that whatever hell is, wherever it is, God created it. God put it there because he is sovereign. He is God, and he is God alone. He is the creator of the heaven and earth. He is creator of all things, and only he would have the right and the ability to do that. Now, 
when we get into these questions, you know, we get into this whole complex combination of the sovereignty of God, uh, man being created with free will. God created us, and he created us with the, the freedom to choose. We're allowed to choose whether we follow him or not, and yet God is sovereign and all-knowing. He knows whether we're going to choose him or not. And, and so then are, do we still actually, if he knows that anyhow, does that mean we still have a choice or do we not have a choice? <clears throat> God in his omniscience, knowing ahead of time <clears throat> what us free-willed humans will choose. And I don't know how we can put all this together and how we can even logically think through all these things. And I'm not sure that we're even... Actually, I I tend to be of the persuasion that God has left a lot of these things to be a mystery. God is all of his attributes all the time, the fullness and completeness of his attributes all the time. He is holy, he is just, he can't tolerate sin, but he's also a God of love and he's God of mercy. <clears throat> and he will be true to himself all the time. He will not deny himself. He will not be unfaithful to himself. And so we, have, we can find confidence in that. <clears throat> that God is faithful and he will be true to himself. He will be true to who he is. To who he is And with that thought in mind, somehow sin needs to be dealt with. If if we could figure him out, if we could figure all this these things out, if if we could think logically through all these things, would God still be sovereign? No, God would no longer be sovereign if we could figure this stuff out. And and we would no longer need him because we would figure it out. We're pretty good at that. We figure stuff out, and we analyze, and we, and now we have all this massive databases and and uh, uh, you know computer technology where we can gather information and we can sort and analyze this information. I think if God could be figured out, we'd figure him out, and we wouldn't need him anymore, and then he wouldn't be sovereign anymore. And so, does that make us helpless, uh, little beggars of creatures? You know, we can think all kinds of things, but God is sovereign, <clears throat> and he has left some of these things. I'm confident, and, and I'm content today to let some of these things as a mystery in his hands and allow him to be sovereign, allow him to be in control of everything. If we could figure it out, like I said before, we would no longer need him. We would be as gods to ourselves. Didn't he say that in in uh, the Garden of Eden, when he created Adam and Eve, when he created the world, there was that one tree in the middle of the garden that Adam and Eve were not allowed to partake of. What was that tree called? Wasn't it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And the serpent came to Eve and says, you know, if you eat that tree, you're going to know good and evil, and you'll be as gods. It's sort of, to me, it's sort of similar to the reason why God has never left anyone see him. We see that a little bit in our Sunday school lesson today. And if I'm thinking correctly, a, a, some, a few chapters later in Exodus, where God actually tells Moses or told the people that <clears throat> the reason 
one of the reasons God doesn't allow anyone to see his likeness, to see what he looks like, is because we would create images like it and try to imitate it. And so I think that some of these things about uh, how and who created it, where it is, why it was created, is, is left to us to be a bit of a mystery because that way we still need God. We need our dependence on him. And it's only our faith and trust in him that will see us through and leaving those details up to him. <clears throat> More sobering thing that we can talk about, that we can look at, and we can know for certain is who is it for? Who is hell for? And there's quite a number of scriptures that talk about that as well. And the portion of the scripture in Matthew 25 that uh, Marcus read, verse 41 there says that it was created for the devil and his angels. <clears throat> that we can know for sure. And in the context that this is given, we can see that, that the people who did not minister to the needs of those around them, the people who were selfish, who lived selfish and self-centered lives and didn't even see the needs of the people around them, that's, where, that's what hell is created for, selfish, self-centered people who aren't reaching out and ministering to the needs of their fellow men. I'm going to turn to 2 Thessalonians for some verses there. 2 Thessalonians 1, and I'll read verses 7 through 9. And here it gives some descriptions as well as to who hell is for. Maybe we'll start in verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus Christ, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of our Lord and from the glory of his power. Very clearly here, who is hell for? It is for those who do not know God. And it is for those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Wasn't that in our Sunday school lesson today? Wasn't there something said about obedience in our Sunday school lesson? Thank you. Yes. Now, therefore, if ye will, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Thank you, Alvin. Verse 5. Obedience. Obedience is a big deal to God. Obedience to God in his scripture makes a difference in our lives, makes a difference in our destiny, makes all the difference in our destiny. It, but hell is created for those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and for those who do not know God. It would seem to me that this could have something to do with the character of God because as we say we don't or act like we don't know God and don't need him, 
It, it insults who he is. And I think we should keep in mind that this idea isn't limited to, to criminals or hardcore sinners. That can happen to any one of us. Any one of us can be guilty of not knowing God or disobeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I only say that to say that as and when I read this these verses, it's easy to to put it in boxes over there and put somebody else in that box and not give any possibility of myself being there. We all have the possibility as long as we have breath and on this as long as we have life and breath on the face of this earth, we have the possibility of turning our back on God and acting like we don't know him and disobeying him. So it's it behooves us to consider and examine our lives. Psalm 9 verse 17 says that hell is for the wicked and for those who forget God. Again, the thought of not knowing God. Luke 13, 3 and 5 tell us that hell is for those who do not repent, who refuse to repent, who become aware of their sin and their need of a Savior, but refuse to do anything about it. Matthew twenty four fifty one says it's for the unprepared, the unfaithful, and hypocrites. Revelation twenty verse fifteen says it's for whoever isn't written, whoever's name isn't written in the book of life. Revelation twenty one eight gives a list of things that where who hell is for. It is for the fearful and the unbelieving. It's for the abominable, those given to unnatural lusts. Abominable means given to unnatural lusts and morally repulsive. It is for murderers and whoremongers. Whoremongers is fornicators or adulterers. Sorcerers. Sorcerers is those who are involved in, in witchcraft. It is for idol worshipers and all liars. All those who think they don't need God. That's who hell is for. In Romans chapter 2, I'll turn there now. Romans chapter 2 teaches us that God is the final judge. God, through Jesus Christ, is the final judge at the end of time. And one thing that we can see in this is that his judgment is true. We can rest assured in that. His judgment is true. In verse 2, actually I'll just read verses 1, 2, and 3. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for, therein, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest dost the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which cannot, which commit such things. And thinkest thou, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. All of us will be judged at some time, and God's judgment will be true. And then Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, speaks of the great white throne judgment. I'll take time to read those verses. 
And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And this talks also about Satan and his angels being cast into the lake of fire. And I believe that possibly what those demons there in the country of Gergesenes were afraid of and were didn't and wanted to delay that time. But this portion in Revelation 20 tells us that there will be a judgment and all will be judged. And whoever's name is not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Which leads us to another question then. When will this happen? The, Jesus, the disciples asked Jesus this question in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus was telling them that the temple isn't going to stand, that there's going to be destruction. And then they asked him in verse 3, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of their coming and of the end of the world? And according to this passage, and according to Second Peter 3, 9 through 12, there will be an end to this world as we know it. We believe that. We know that from Scripture. And we've been taught it from young up, that there will be an end to this world as we know it. It will burn up. It will melt. It will pass away. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. <clears throat> the question is, when will this take place? It's because it's at that time when the reality of hell will be sealed and destined for those who go there forever. <clears throat> Both Matthew, Jesus' words in Matthew and Second Peter, tell us that no one knows when this time will be. It's a mystery. It's left unknown to us. No one knows when this time will be. And we have reminders constantly throughout our lives of the brevity of life. Um, and it will be either our physical death here on this earth or the second coming of Christ that brings this eternal destiny, that seals our eternal destiny. Even if the souls of the departed go to some temporary place, the destiny is sealed after death here on earth. No one knows the time when Jesus will come again. No one knows the time that we have left and when our life will be taken away. Just last evening, I had a message from uh, one of the children of a, a young man, 23 years old, who was instantly killed yesterday in a car accident. Um, I'm sure he wasn't expecting that to happen. You read the obituaries. I noticed this past week. Yes, I do read the obituaries sometimes. Um, infant that didn't live more than 
I'm not sure how long, but it was, it was apparently went full term, but was, didn't, didn't survive. Somewhere in our neighborhood, I don't know who the people are, a three month old passed away. It's not just the elderly. It's not just old people, it's young people. None of us has a, a lease on life. It's short, our time is short. We don't know the time. And God has designed it to be that way. He has intent, he, le he left it to be that way. Again, I think if we could figure that out, wouldn't we play our cards? If I could know when I'm gonna die, if I could know that when I'm 75 and six months and three days old, that that's gonna be my last day here on earth, how would I live? We don't know. And so there's a certain sense where God keeps us dependent on him, else we run away with our lives. Actually, we're inclined and prone to do that anyway. No one knows the time for either event, either our death here on earth or the second coming of Christ. Second Peter 3.10 says, It will come as a thief in the night. Matthew 24.36, Jesus said, Of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So we don't know when it will happen. God knows, and God alone knows, and it's in his hands. So that leads us to some things I would like to consider. One is, as sort of echoing the last message that I preached, the seriousness of the choices that we make. It's up to us. God has given us the ability, has given us what we need to live with him forever throughout eternity. And it's a marvel when we think about that, that God has given us that option. He has created us creatures of choice and given us a, a better option. As I mentioned earlier in some of the opening comments, when using that, that as we look at some of these scriptures and thinking especially of some of the things that I've been hearing in the community around us about how and what some people are thinking, I think it's, as I mentioned, it's, it's important for us to take scripture in, in the context that it was written. I, I did hear one person say, I did hear of one person. He didn't say it to me specifically. But he talks about uh, Matthew 10, 28. There's a verse that says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And use that verse to say that that would give us some pause to question, uh, is hell eternal? Because if something is destroyed, it is no longer, right? Or is even my personal experience in hell eternal? Because according, if you read this, if you want to, we could take out of this that he is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. To that I say, let's look at this in the context. Jesus was sending out the twelve. And he was equipping them to go. And he was saying, here's what you're going to face. You're going to face this and this. You're going to face some difficulties. You're going to face some hard times. You're going to face persecution. And his point is, don't worry about it. Don't fear that. Don't fear people. Don't fear the temporal 
things of life, but fear the eternal. Fear God. He is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Is that making a statement that he will? God is able. He can do anything, right? So I'm not sure that, I think we need to be careful that we don't take um, some of these scriptures. And when studying scripture, we should be sure to, to make the plain verses the main verses. I've heard that some years ago and was kind of a good one. It's a simple little jingle to remember. Make the plain verses the main verses. And some of these f- verses that are maybe a little foggy and not so clear, consider them in the light in which they are meant to be taken in. <clears throat> In conclusion, then, while there are many things about hell that we aren't sure about, there are enough of things that we are and can be sure about. One of those is that hell is real. We can be sure about that. Scripture teaches it, that hell is real. Hell is terrible. Now, I think... This message, I struggle a bit with it because I, I think if an evangelist should preach this message, right? And then he would probably thunder down and, and, and I'm not an evangelist and so I'm not thundering to you this morning. But hell is terrible. That we can be sure of. Hell is terrible. There's darkness. There's anguish. There's weeping and pain. These are words that the Bible uses to describe hell. There's separation from God. There's miserable companions. There's regret. Regret. I can't imagine. Have you ever made a decision that you regretted and you wished you could undo that decision, but you couldn't undo it? You couldn't make it? I've struggled with that already in my life. Making a decision, just the one I'm thinking of first is a vehicle I bought some years ago. I regretted it. (laughs) And and I, I mulled that thing around, mulled that thing, and mulled that thing around my mind. And, and finally, I had to stop doing that. I think that might be one of the intense miseries of hell is the regret that you missed the opportunity. You could have changed your, the course of your destination, but you didn't. And now you're there. And it's no longer an option to change. There is no way out. Fierce regret. And all eternity to regret it. We can also be sure about hell is that we don't want to go there. And we have the power. We have, God has allowed us to choose where we spend eternity. And with that then, I'd like to look at some verses. The Bible teaches us in the light of eternity. And we can we can. We can use salvation as a fire insurance, some people say, you know, and and escape hell. But I I think we're missing the point if we only do that to escape hell. But knowing what we know makes us more responsible to act on the things that we know. Matthew 24, Jesus' words to disciples were, watch therefore, in verse 42, and be ready. I'll go back to 2 Peter 3. Second Peter 3, verse 9. Some things that we can be sure of. 
The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That we can be sure of. We know that from Scripture. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And knowing and anticipating that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, verse 11 says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless, and account that the longsuffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Verses 17 and 18, Yet ye therefore, brethren, seeing ye know these things, before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be, both, to him be glory, both now and ever. <clears throat> we live, we can live, we can choose to live in anticipation of that day when the new heavens and the new earth will be ushered in. But knowing these things, we need to be diligent. We need to be diligent to be found in peace, without spot, and blameless. <clears throat> and grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and ever. Let's kneel for prayer.